Thanks, Ange, for leading us so beautifully and thoughtfully in communion today. I want to share a photo with you today to give some context to the story I'm about to share. Once upon a time, Jonah looked like this. Isn't he beautiful? (laughs) Jonah is our youngest son. He's now 14, currently celebrating that he's now taller than me. This photo was taken on a family holiday to Sydney back when he was just five. And he was such a little trooper and walked for hours every day on this holiday. And one sunny day, we were strolling through Darling Harbour. And somehow, Jonah got a little bit ahead of the rest of us. And we looked up to see him walking hand in hand with a man we didn't know. From the back, this man looked just like Darren, who is Jonah's dad, for those of you who don't know our family. And he even had the same backpack as Darren, so it was an easy mistake to make. So we did what all great parents would do, right? We let them keep walking just to see what would happen. Now, before you think we're terrible parents, we could see that he was safe and we were close enough to rescue him if we needed to. So we just walked along behind giggling at the situation that Jonah was completely unaware of. Until that moment of realisation when Jonah looked up and realised the man that he was walking with wasn't the father he thought. Looking up gave him a new perspective and it shocked him. There was a priceless reaction, a bit of a, ah, from both of them as they looked at each other and realised they were walking with a stranger. I wonder if it's possible that you might need a new perspective of who you're walking with, a revelation of who your father really is, and I'm speaking about your heavenly father here. Each one of us has some kind of image of God in our minds and our hearts and our lives. But is it a right and a true picture? Let me ask you, what is your picture of God? What image of God comes to your mind when you think about him? In Ephesians 1.17, we read, May the glorious Father give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And in this verse, the Apostle Paul asks for two things, for wisdom and for revelation. His purpose is to come to a profound knowledge of God and his ways. The idea behind the word revelation here literally means an uncovering or an unveiling. And the idea of knowing God is not about knowing facts, but knowing him personally. The message paraphrase puts it this way. I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally your eyes focused and clear. Over the next four weeks, we're inviting you into a space of reflecting on your images of God. We're going to explore together how our picture of God influences us, and we're going to bring to the surface and reject false images of God while embracing a Jesus picture of God. Today, we'll start the journey by unpacking why 
This is so important. And where our images of God come from. Next week, we'll be looking at some of the distorted images of God that people carry into their lives. The following week, we'll look at some of the powerful and the helpful imagery of God throughout the Bible that can provide a dramatic contrast to the distorted images we may have. And we'll look at how Jesus reveals the Father to us. And our final week will be on restoring our vision and how we go about healing false images of God and seeing God in new ways. So would you pray with me as we start this journey together? Heavenly Father, we do commit this journey to you. Help us to gain a clearer view of who you truly are. Help us to sort out who you are and who you're not. Quicken our spirits to be attentive and aware to what you're wanting to show us. In Jesus' name, amen. So why do our images of God matter? I'm going to make a really bold statement today. Your image of God, the picture you have of God, is the most important thing in your spiritual journey. A.W. Tozer was an American pastor, a fearless preacher and a gifted writer. And in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he shares these words. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most importantest fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. It's important to understand that our images of God can be different to our theological affirmations or our formal convictions about God. Our images are a combination of thoughts and feelings that are rooted in powerful emotional experiences. They're not abstract ideas. Our images of God affect both how we feel about God and how we live in relationship with him. Some images increase our desire for God. Others will cause us to cringe and move away from God and stunt our spiritual growth. Jared Hughes says, When we pray, we must have some idea of God in our minds, and this influences how we pray and whether we pray. Think for a moment, for example, about the way that you communicate with the people around you. This is most likely influenced by the way that you see them. If you see them as your enemy and feel afraid or threatened by them, then your communication will be cautious, restricted and lack spontaneity. You'll be afraid to speak freely. If you see the person as a powerful authority figure who is able to reward you or punish you or control some aspect of your life, again, you'll be reserved in what you communicate. If, however, the person is a friend who you trust, somebody you like and you know likes you, there'll be a greater freedom in your communication, the way that you approach them and your desire to spend time with them. This is true of all of our relationships, including the one you have with God. It is possible 
to have distorted images of God. Pictures of him that just aren't quite true, that are pulled or twisted out of shape, that give you a misleading or a false view of his character and who he is. Distorted images have a profound impact on a person's spiritual well-being. Let me be a little bit more specific. If you have a distorted image of God, it's going to have an impact on your effectiveness to follow him, know him, walk with him, understand him, and relate to him. Let me say that again because it's really important and it's why we're doing this four-week series. If you have a distorted image of God, it's going to have an impact on your effectiveness to follow God, know God, walk with God, understand God, and relate to God. You'll see the God of the Bible through a distorted lens. It can interfere with your ability to speak honestly with him, to trust him, and even keep you from fully experiencing his unfailing love for you. Distorted images can also affect your genuine enthusiasm to introduce others to God. This is important stuff. It is not something to gloss over. It's worthy of our time. It's worthy of our attention and it's worthy of our prayerful consideration. And if our images of God are the most important thing in our spiritual journey, you can be sure that Satan, our enemy, will be out to destroy that, to distort the images we have, to try and get us to believe things about God that are untrue. Please be very aware of that. Let me direct you to two significant aspects of the Bible. Firstly, the Bible is all about human life with God. It's about how God has made this possible and how he will bring it to pass. From Genesis right through to Revelation, we see how God has been with us in a variety of ways. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God as being with the chosen people as individuals and as a family through the judges, the monarchy, through the words of the prophets, even through exile. And then just in case there was any lingering doubt in our minds about how much God wants to be in relationship with us, we have the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, literally God with us. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, through the Holy Spirit. He was with Abraham he was with Moses, he was with Esther, he was with David, he was with Isaiah, with Mary, with Peter, with Paul and Barnabas, with Lydia and Timothy, and a whole host of others too numerous to mention. And accordingly, one of the things that we need to do is to learn to see and to understand the reality of the with God life available to us now. And to do that, to understand that, to desire that, we need a true picture of who God is. Because when we have a healthy and a true picture of God, our posture towards him is changed. And the with God life becomes a gift. We long to spend time with him. It's a dynamic and an abundant life. It's an adventure, a life where it's a joy to choose to worship him and to live a life of surrender. A second consideration is this. 
When Jesus was asked by a Pharisee in Matthew 22 what the greatest of all the commandments was, Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. In other words, the most important thing a human being does is love God. It's very hard to have a close and an intimate relationship with him and love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind if we have a dysfunctional view of who he is. Dallas Willard is a leader in the area of Christian spiritual formation and he challenges us with this. The acid test for any theology is this. Is the God presented one that may be loved, heart, soul, mind and strength? If the thoughtful answer is not really, then we need to look elsewhere or deeper. It does not really matter how sophisticated intellectually or doctrinally our approach is if it fails to set a lovable God, a radiant, happy, friendly, accessible and totally competent being before ordinary people we have gone wrong. We should not keep going in the same direction, but turn around and take another road. We are only as healthy in our Christian walk as our image of God is healthy. So where do our images of God come from? Our pictures of God are formed over the years through various influences. They're often laid buried deep within us and we may not even be aware that they exist. We all have to start with what we started with. And we were all born into some family, we all have roots in some heritage, and most have had exposure to some kind of religious teachings. The question is, how healthy have they been? Not everyone has had parents that build into them a loving picture of God. And I'm not blaming our parents for our view of God, but how parents treated us growing up can influence how we see God. Some people have been deeply wounded by their biological fathers, which makes thinking about God as father really difficult because the language of God the father and their own painful experiences of their human fathers are tangled together. Sometimes there's an alignment made between what parents are or were like with a child's images of God. For example, a parent who is never happy with their child's efforts can lead to an image for that child of a God of impossible expectations who you can never please. Other examples are God as emotionally distant, unable to understand your problems, an inattentive God who's too busy to be mindful of you, an unreliable God who repeatedly disappoints a God who might abandon you, a God who withholds emotional or spiritual needs, a God who is weak and won't offer protection. And in some families, God has been assigned highly negative roles. For example, children have been told that God will not love them or God will punish them if they don't obey their parents. It's been used to manipulate. Who would desire a relationship with a God like that? 
Our images of God can also be affected by our religious experiences that are meant to help us understand God, what God wants of us, and how to live. The way in which children, and by extension new believers, are introduced to religious entities such as God and Jesus, concepts such as sin and the Trinity, and observances such as going to church and praying play a key role in the formation of an individual's images of God. For example, studies show that if this is done in the context of a warm and loving environment, it appears to have a direct and an instrumental role in individuals coming to experience God in a relational and a personal way. Whereas Christians who were in church contexts where anger or fear were predominant learnt to be afraid of God rather than appropriately fearful or respectful of him. In Sunday school classes, in sermons, in Christian media, sometimes the good news has been turned into bad news and the gospel of grace becomes the gospel of shame. And the faith that's intended to free us becomes a heavy burden of performance. If encounters with him have been mostly in cold churches where we were bored out of our minds and with long sermons presenting God as he who disapproves of everything we like, then we're not going to be likely to want to turn to him no matter how many people tell us that prayer is necessary. It's important to understand that some of our family and our cultural and even our religious narratives might actually have their roots in the kingdom of this world and they might not be correct. As Christ followers, we're called in Colossians 3.2 to set our minds on things that are above we need to test where our pictures of God have come from. Another place our images of God can come from is ourselves. We humans love to feel in control. And sometimes we try to fit God in a box that we understand and therefore create images in our mind of him that suit us. Trevor Hudson warns us of the cost of this. We are often uncomfortable and uneasy in the presence of mystery. We struggle to be involved with an ungraspable God. We feel safer when faith is confined with dogmatic formulations and tidy theories. Then we can tame God, bring him under control and manage his workings in our world. But these attempts cost us dearly. Our sense of wonder is exiled our faith begins suffocating from thick layers of dull familiarity and easy answers and our lives are emptied of surprise. In any true picture of God, there will always be room for mystery. I want better for you than that. I implore you, I earnestly plead with you, do not miss out on what life with God can be. Don't settle for anything less than a vibrant and a life-giving relationship with a good and beautiful God. 
one who is generous and faithful and loving and merciful and trustworthy and holy, still with a little bit of mystery. Because your images of him are incorrect or because you're trying to fit God in a neat box that suits you. Becoming aware of a distorted image of God can be the first step in bringing about a really beautiful, renewed spiritual vitality. We've all got baggage. We're people. We may have wrong ideas. We may have wrong expectations. The invitation here is to a redrawing process, a redrawing of the images that we have of God that allow us to gain a clearer view of who God truly is. You may have to dig through some stuff. For some of us, it may mean being prepared to have our dearest and our most fundamental assumptions called into question. It takes courage to do that. It will feel messy. It may be painful. But I promise you, if you see this through, it will be so worth it. My challenge for you this week is to take some time to to ponder your current image of God. Be as honest as you can be with that. On our website in the sermon study section, you'll find a list of questions that may help guide your reflection. If you can't find them, please call or email the office and we make sure we get them out to you. They're challenging questions, but they're worth wrestling with. Here's an example of the kinds of questions you'll find there. Do you believe that God wants to relate with you personally and individually? Do you see God as Abba, best translated, dear father? Do you feel genuinely loved and adored by God? How would you describe your trust level when it comes to God? Have things happened to you that have made you doubt that God is trustworthy? How do you think God sees you? What do you think God expects of you? Consider your predominant images of your mother or father. How might these have influenced your relationship with God or shaped your concept of him for better or for worse? And there's a whole lot more along those lines for you to choose from. But don't just leave it there. Please make it priority to join us for the next three weeks to continue on this journey. Your images of God matter. If you only remember one thing from today, may it be that. Your images of God matter. And therefore, it would be wise for us to reflect carefully on those that we have. Just like little Jonah in Darling Harbour that day, who looked up and realised that the person he was walking with wasn't who he thought. Maybe we need revelation. It's God's desire that we come to know him as he truly is, the God of the Bible, the God that Jesus knew. Would you pray with me? Loving God, your word tells us that you are uniquely good. You are love, you are holy, you are generous, 
You are trustworthy. Jesus called you Abba, dear Father. And yet we confess that this is not always how we see you. Please help us to know you as you truly are. Clear away the fog so that we can see you clearly. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes to see what's below the surface. Give us the courage to go there, to uncover and reject any false images we have of God that we've inherited, we've taken on because of our experiences. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be able to recognize God in a way that allows us to love him with our heart and our soul and our mind. And as Paul prayed in Ephesians, may you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. In Jesus' name, amen.